Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, Boris Johnson is running into a bit of criticism from his opponents, but also from his allies as he prepares to announce plans to reopen the economy. Labour is now calling for a national consensus on how to tackle the next phase of the crisis, whilst Conservative backbenchers are urging the Prime Minister to ease the lockdown and start getting people back to work. Meanwhile, one of the big challenges for the government is persuading people that once we do go back to work, it's going to be safe. And it's, of course, something that's crucial to rebooting the British economy. So there's an interest to get that going. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, looking at ways to unwind the government's furlough programme. He spoke to ITV News and he said the scheme wouldn't end abruptly at the end of June, but warned that it could not continue indefinitely. To anyone who's anxious about this, I want to give them reassurance today that there will be no cliff edge to the furlough scheme. I'm working as we speak to figure out the most effective way to wind down the scheme and ease people back into work in a measured way. Rishi Sunak there. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Rosie Duffield, who's Labour MP for Canterbury. Rosie, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, can I just first of all pick up on the line coming from Keir Starmer, the, the line talking about, well, I suppose moving or seeming to move away from a consensus position in terms of the attitude to the crisis. Is this a good moment to, to perhaps uh, become an opposition again? Yeah, I mean, we've always been really broadly supportive of the way the government are handling things because actually there, but for the grace of God, go we. And nobody knew how to handle this crisis and we have to pull together. And the country has to see, rather than that we're sniping at each other, that we're actually trying to cooperate and sort of handle this together. However, that doesn't mean we can't call the government to account, you know, when there's a lack of PPE equipment or we think that they're not handling the sort of lockdown ending kind of plans well enough and that's our job isn't it to criticize when we think they're going wrong and i think Keir's starting to see that they're not handling this in the way that perhaps they could do so rosie what uh, starmer was calling for was a national consensus he talks about having an honest conversation with the public how does that work practically um i think there are various ways of doing that but just speaking to sort of business leaders and and our own communities it's pretty easy. I mean, MPs are really well connected with their own communities. And if we kind of had a meeting where, you know, we could all feed that back, I mean, it's 
reasonably easy, actually. You know, if we talk to our community leaders and feed that back to the government, it's not that difficult. You know, we've got people representing unions and workplaces and the CBI and, you know, business and finance. We can just talk to them and just see where they're at and how this is going to work. And we need to do what's best for each individual industry because it's all going to be different. So schools are going to, going to want one approach and business is going to want another. So we have to consult with people, I think, on this. Your consultation, Rosie, I mean, if we just look at the figures, the, the latest YouGov poll, I think, on from the 1st of May, said 58% of people think the government's handling the crisis well. I also saw some figures on the attitudes to the leaders, and there seems to be a clear majority favouring uh, Boris Johnson's approach and the way he's handling it. There's a, it's a dangerous moment for Labour, surely, if you try and pull away from that, when most people think just get behind the flag, just keep going. Yeah, honestly, I mean, we have been doing that as much as we possibly can, but then there are going to be areas we think need improving. And that's where working together comes in. I mean, you know, if you like, we've almost been a critical friend to government rather than an opposition. But when they are letting down the NHS, letting down business, creating problems for universities in in my um, area, then we need to still be critical. So there's a way of doing it kind of gently, if you like. And then afterwards, we can have a kind of post-mortem of, of how this went and how they handled it. So the big question then, what do we do about the restrictions? What's Labour proposing? Are we going to start easing? I see even Graham Brady of the 1922 committee putting some pressure on the government as they have been for a while, saying employees have been too willing to stay away from work. They're taking advantage of, of the situation uh, uh, and therefore he wants to get mm. people back into their offices, back into their places of work. Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I think people have been really responsible citizens, actually, on the whole. We've been telling them to stay away unless it is a, literally a sort of matter of life and death or they're a key worker. And that is, it really is life and death. It's essential. And really and truly, it's only a few short weeks or months of our entire lives. So we need to err on the side of caution. And I personally don't want an easing on the lockdown now. We've we've heard from um, people about the second wave. I think that is potentially incredibly dangerous. We've got to be certain. So, yes, there are businesses that could benefit from a little bit of easing, like garden centres in my constituency, maybe farming a little bit. But we have to do that on a case-by-case basis and a business-by-business needs basis, I think, personally. We just, we just need to minimise this as much as possible for as long as possible. And we still don't have a vaccine. Yeah, well, you say minimise it for as long as possible, but if you, you look at some of the startling facts on this, Rosie, that, that half the adult workforce is now being paid, in effect, by the state. That's an enormous amount of money, yeah. and it can't go on for very long. Yeah. You do need income generation as well. You need business to give the money to be able to help people and, indeed, of course, pay for the NHS. Absolutely. I mean, we know that, there, you know, there's this argument at the moment, isn't there, this is the health versus the economy argument. And we know that we're going to be paying for this for generations like we did in the war. You know, we've only just pretty much finished that. Um, but the health, in my opinion, I mean, this argument can kind of carry on between politicians, but the health of the nation is the utmost number one concern. And yes, if we can just sort of mitigate the impact on business a little bit sensibly, I'm not sure we have the answers yet, but just case by case and just easing it very, very slowly, I think is the only way forward. 
Well, let's just look ahead for a moment, because as you say, we are going to be paying this for a long time. My question is how? I, I was interested to see Boris Johnson ruling out austerity, but I feel like this is not a situation that you can spend yourself out of. So what is the solution? Once all of this is over, how do we ensure that people aren't bearing the brunt of this for a long, long time? Million dollar question. I mean, we're we're really lucky that we've got Annalisa Dodds now as our uh, shadow chancellor. She's got some fantastic ideas. I think she really is willing to work with the um, government treasury teams and and just sort of suggest how we would go about doing this. But you have to put the workforce first. You have to put those on a very low income first. You have to look at working with the unions and people on benefits are going to be hugely impacted. But the services we've seen cut for 10 years are struggling on their knees anyway. So uh, an austerity return is going to be completely disastrous for charities and, and those kind of sectors. So we have to do this in a kind of hive mind collaborative way, in my opinion, and, and just draw on the economic experts that we need to help us. What about the practicalities of reaching a stage where we can feel that the virus is under control? Now, the, the government's flagship measure now is, is tracing and tracking a device, possibly using uh, smartphones, but also using uh, people tracking these things down. The plan is to start it on the Isle of Wight, I think, from today, pretty much. Do you think that is yeah. the right way to go? I think that, you know, isn't it brilliant that this is, you know, if, if a horrible crisis like this is going to happen, isn't it brilliant that we've got that technology and those kind of apps and incredibly clever people who are putting their all into solving these situations? And one of them is this tracking and tracing app. And it's actually quite exciting to see that that's going to be rolled out today. And let's see how that works. But, yeah, it's vital to stop the spread and to stop the second wave. And just, I think, for virologists to, to just work out the pattern of this illness and the spread and the, you know, the sort of change in the virus because it does change and and who it affects and how. And that's vital, isn't it? So I think things like this are a really good way of doing that and just sort of analysing what's going on. And what about the whole returning to work thing? Starbuck calling for more clarity on what is expected of businesses and of their staff. And we've talked about social distancing and staggering start times and all of that. But how do how can you give more guidance when workplaces are so varied and some things that apply to one place are just not going to apply to another? I think that's the danger, isn't it? If we give sort of vague, loose guidelines that are open to interpretation, we kind of had that a little bit in the lockdown for the first few days and a couple of weeks people were really confused and staying open anyway we have to be absolutely as kind of clear um, as possible on it you know social distancing has to be if you've got enough physical space and if your desks can be far apart and if it really is essential so face-to-face meetings I know are not going to happen for quite some time and things like that have to be really really well thought out and the guidelines have to be just absolutely clear I think that's the key thing but in the midst of all this, aren't people just going to say, perhaps even where you are in Canterbury, um, you know, if it's lifting, fine, I'll jump in my car now and I'll go off and do the things I've been putting off because, frankly, it's all lifting anyway. Isn't there a risk that, that, yeah. the, that the people will just rush out and do what they were going to do anyway? Yeah, of course that's a risk and it's really frightening. So the messaging has to be incredibly strong. I mean, I've, I've heard of people saying, well, lockdown's OK, we'll just go and sort of go back to work on the building site. Lockdown isn't lifted at all at the moment. It's worth reminding people nothing has actually changed. That guidance hasn't changed. The emergency legislation we brought in is still there and up and running. And people cannot break the lockdown as it has been yet. We'll just wait for more announcements and then it has to 
be crystal clear. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at some of the other stories making the news. Uh, where are we starting today, Roger? Well, I don't know if you've downloaded it on your phone yet, or even if one can, but certainly in the Isle of Wight, apparently you can. It's the Tracing app, the NHS app, which aims to track the spread of the virus. It's being rolled out for the first time today on the Isle of Wight as a trial. Council and health workers will be the first to try the app, with the rest of the island able to download it from Thursday. If the trial is successful, could be available for all of us nationwide by mid-May. Uh, aims to quickly trace recent contacts of anyone who tests positive for the virus. If you've been near them, it will let you know. I have so many questions about this, including why Bluetooth is being used. Uh, not a great technology. Also, privacy. We haven't really talked about this. Maybe we should dig into that on a future episode. Uh, just, just the fact that all of this confidential information is getting hoovered up. But anyway, I'll leave that to one side. We've got to talk about this alternative group of scientists that are, in a way, challenging the UK government's official coronavirus advisory panel. They've met on YouTube yesterday in a very public forum. It's chaired by the former government chief scientific advisor, David King, who I think was active under Blair and Brown. They want to give the public a bit more transparency. That comes after SAGE, the UK's uh, scientific advisory group for emergencies, was criticised for secrecy around its membership and advice. The government has claimed that throughout the pandemic, science is guiding the decisions. But then we had the big revelation, didn't we, that Dominic Cummings, the uh, government's uh, chief advisor, has also attended SAGE meetings and that has led to calls for more transparency. I go with this idea that we should continue the SAGE theme and that this should be the British Association of Scientists something or other and call it Basil and then you have Basil and SAGE. But, I um, like it. There we are, you see. A bit of herbs. Now, meanwhile, of course, other things are going on in the world, not least the future post-Brexit of the UK's trade. Britain and the US are today beginning negotiations on a post-Brexit free trade agreement. The International Trade Secretary, Liz Truss, and the US Trade Representative, Robert Lighthizer, will kick things off with a video conference call. The first round of negotiations will then continue for around two weeks, with around 100 negotiators on each side taking part. Further rounds will take place approximately every six weeks, with the talks being conducted remotely, of course, until it's safe to travel again. Ah, well, let's move it on. Let's talk about the lockdown, because it is the big question for Boris Johnson. Getting this right, if he moves too quickly, he incurs the wrath of the unions. We've talked about worker safety in the first part of the programme. Um, and then you've also got the risk of a so-called second wave. Too slowly, he annoys his own backbenchers. We mentioned Graham Brady, who wants to reopen the economy and get on with things. You've got half the adult workforce now being funded by the state, which is, of course, anathema to people of certain political persuasions, 
So what are the options? How does it sell it to the public? Let's get into this with Tim Bale, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University. He's also co-director at the Mile End Institute and deputy director of a UK in a changing Europe. So, Tim, the biggest forces then pushing the prime minister at the moment, where do you think they're coming from? Well, they're coming from business, presumably, who are looking at their uh, balance sheets and wondering how long they can actually carry on uh, without much business being done. Uh, that is feeding through to Conservative MPs. Uh, we're seeing quite a lot of them talking on and off the record about the need to open up. Uh, and, of course, you know there will be uh, a certain proportion of the population who is beginning to chafe against some of the restrictions and would like life to go back to something resembling normal. Well, when you say normal, it's quite interesting, because I was thinking now, Tories versus unions. Hmm, I think I've been there before. And, even, you know, the Labour Party beginning to oppose. You know, are we moving back to uh, a rather pre-virus phase, do you think, in politics? Uh, I'm not sure that's the case, but I think you certainly have to understand the position of unions who are, after all, uh, representative of workers who are very nervous about going back. Um, one of the most obvious examples, I think, would be uh, the unions representing school teachers who are extremely worried about some of the stories that have been dripping out, really, of Downing Street for some time about schools reopening uh, at the end of May or the beginning of June. And many teachers and, of course, many allied staff um, are worried about going into school and perhaps bringing back something into their families, which may, of course, include uh, vulnerable uh, people. Uh, in factories, there is some doubt as to whether social distancing can really be done, just as there is in school. So I think there are legitimate concerns there. I'm not sure it's a sort of return to, as it were, bosses versus workers class conflict. There are some very real health concerns. OK, Tim, big question. You're an expert on the Conservative Party. We've seen a little bit of what this Johnson administration can do. We've had a few months worth, albeit in quite adverse circumstances. Are they a little bit different to what we've seen before in the sense of the way they work with unions? Because we had the Trade Unions Congress on the other day and they, uh, fair enough, had their criticisms, but they weren't full of, of jabs at this administration. They said that they, there were things that could be praised as well. Is this business as normal or are we starting to see a more sympathetic Conservative Party when it comes to, to workers' rights? Well, uh, I think certainly on the, the spending issue, I think trade unions are to some extent encouraged by what appears to be a genuine commitment to end austerity on the part of the Conservative Party since Boris Johnson has won his election victory. Uh, and although clearly the nation is going to be facing a pretty big bill after the coronavirus crisis eventually dies down, uh, there seem to be a lot of people in government um, who are saying that they are not going to go back to the kind of Osborne Cameron policies of trying to pay down debt or reduce the deficit by reducing spending. Uh, I think that uh, gives some encouragement to, to trade unions. I don't think that uh, many trade unionists are too worried either about the prospect of, you know, the, the kind of conservative uh, neoliberal hawks uh, post-Brexit getting rid of uh, all the legislation designed to protect workers. I think that was a concern. But again, I think those concerns have uh, been to some extent assuaged by ministers, uh, suggesting that even though they don't want to be stuck with what they regard as EU regulations, uh, they're not necessarily going to 
uh, then try and undercut the EU by uh, making it easier necessary to hire or fire workers or, or you know, reduce their terms and conditions at work. So I think, broadly speaking, the unions are probably suspicious. This is, after all, a Conservative government. But they do sense that you know, there are some different signals coming out of this Conservative administration to the ones that have come out um, from earlier uh, administrations. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting on that point, Tim, because I mean, we heard all the ideas after the, the the most recent election, of course, of the Conservative Party uh, pivoting, if you like, to the North uh, in terms of wanting to keep the new Northern voters on board with them. And perhaps in the nature of things, many of the people who are most in need now, including many of the furloughed workers, are going to be in that part of the world. So this is really a moment of risk for Boris Johnson to come through with his his pivot to the North. I think that's a very interesting point. If you actually look at some of the research that's been done uh, on the labour market and COVID-19, you do see that it's uh, workers in the north who, uh, uh, to some extent, find it much harder to work from home. Uh, They are going to need some reassurance about social distancing when they go back to work. So I I think you're right to say that the the Conservatives' new relationship with the the north and the sense of uh, it being an electoral heartland in some ways for for them in in some places is going to have some significance uh, in terms of the you know the way that the government tries to come out of this lockdown and what about labor in all of this we've talked about uh, Keir Starmer's intervention and for the most part he's been broadly supportive of the government now he's started to talk about a national consensus and it feels like he's putting a bit of pressure onto the government. Is this the point where we start to see him and his party veer away and and, and form a stronger opposition in a more traditional sense? Well, I certainly think you are both right to suggest that the trade union pressure uh, on uh, the Labour leader will increase if they feel that the lockdown is being pursued too far uh, and too fast by the government and not keeping their members safe. Having said that, I think that... uh, Keir Starmer you know, will try to maintain his stance of constructive uh, opposition uh, and in some senses forensic opposition as well. It will be very interesting to see uh, you know, Prime Minister's question time, uh, whether you know, he carries on uh, with what he's been doing over the last couple of weeks, which is really to try and sort of pick holes in the government's uh, response, uh, particularly in the early stages of the crisis, and then major on you know what are still problems, and those are testing uh, and uh, personal protective equipment. So I'm not sure we're going to see, as it were, Labour completely depart from what we've seen over the last few weeks, but uh, perhaps they're going to begin to press the government a little bit harder. And it's interesting, if you look at opinion polls, the government is still actually riding fairly high in those opinion polls, as is its handling of the the coronavirus crisis. But when you dig in a little bit deeper, you can see that people are beginning to wonder whether the government actually reacted fast enough and whether it has done enough in terms of those particular issues, personal protective equipment and uh, testing. But but that's a very dangerous position to be in in some ways, isn't it, Tim? Because there's a risk of appearing unpatriotic, a risk of, uh, if you get it wrong, appearing to be on the wrong side of this argument and not getting with the uh, with the programme. No, I, th- I think that's right. And I think, you know, Keir Starmer is obviously very aware that he's treading that, that fine line. He has actually had some criticism, some bump people on the left, but he hasn't been hard enough, as it were, on the government. Uh, but I think he's very aware that he has to be seen to be part of this national effort 
uh, and not undermining the government at this very, very difficult time. But on the other hand, there are legitimate criticisms that can be made. And if we look at the death toll in this country compared to the death toll in, in other countries, you know, there are some very, very serious questions for the government to ask. The point, however, is when it's best to ask those questions in, in a very, very forceful manner. And I think uh, Keir Starmer's judgment at the moment is that it's best to be forensic rather than forceful. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.